Welcome to the Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones. Tonight on the show, the need for foster homes and hosts for Afghan refugees coming to the United States and Utah. I'll talk with Aidan Bittar, Director of Migration and Refugee Services at Catholic Community Services of Utah this hour. We'll continue our back-to-school series with student journalists at Salt Lake Community College, and I'll pass the mic to a teacher celebrating 40 years with the Utah School for the Blind. Keeping with the back-to-school theme, here's a pick for our Songs of Summer playlist to get us started. Once again, it's Liz in Salt Lake City. Hey, Laura, this is Liz in Salt Lake, and I just wanted to talk about Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard, a classic Paul Simon. This is a song that just reminds me of me and my friends, being the hooligans we were, probably trespassing throughout the summer, going places we shouldn't have gone, and then our parents finding out the next morning of the trouble that we might have gotten into. So, me and Julio, classic summer song, embraces all of the things we all did that we shouldn't have done. Songs of Summer on KRCL 90.9. Are you a teen inspired to be heard? Do you want to be a DJ on this station, KRCL 90.9 FM? Then join Loud and Clear Youth Radio. We are currently looking for the next group of interested teens ages 14 to 19 who want to be the next group of youth DJs at this station. Applications are due September 12th, so hurry. For more information, visit spyhop.org. We are looking forward to hearing your voice on this station. FM KRCL's funding comes from individual listeners like you, as well as businesses, corporations, and foundations. KRCL has an open meeting policy. The station holds open board of trustee and community advisory board meetings. You may view KRCL's yearly financial report, audited financial statements, EEO reports, and meeting schedule on our website at krcl.org. Thanks for listening to the Radioactive Summer Break tonight. I'm Laura Jones. Utah Governor Spencer Cox sent a letter to President Biden today saying Utah stands ready to accept refugees from Afghanistan amidst the U.S. pullout there and the Taliban takeover. Catholic Community Services of Utah will be in the middle of that humanitarian effort and the one in Haiti, which has suffered another devastating earthquake. I asked Aidan Batar, Migration and Refugee Services Director for Catholic Community Services of Utah, to walk us through what happens next and how we can all help. Catholic Community Services of Utah is uh, one of the socials, one of the largest social service agency in the state of Utah. So we provide a number of services. So we resettle refugees from all around the world. Every year we bring hundreds of refugees. We provide them a variety of services, including housing, employment, health services, Uh, education and immigration and many other services that would help these individuals uh, successfully integrate into our community. We have an accompanied refugee minor program where we resettle uh, children without caregivers and we place them into foster homes where we uh, recruit and uh, license foster homes and place with them. We're always looking for the families who would be taking uh, these children into their homes. We have immigration program where we provide services to immigrants into our community or anyone who is in need of immigration services, family reunification, citizenship, and many other 
uh, immigration services. Of course, we do deal with the homeless population. We provide them day services. And also in Ogden, we do have the largest food pantry in, the, in Northern Utah, and we provide food to the low-income families who are in need. As I recall, in previous conversations, you've talked about how refugee resettlement slowed to a trickle uh, during the Trump administration. And now here under the Biden administration, things are changing, not to mention what's happening in Afghanistan. So tell me where things stand in terms of the number of folks you are already starting to deal with this year. And now any numbers or expectations you have given the situation in Afghanistan, Aiden? Uh, yeah, for so for the last several months uh, with the Biden administration, even though the refugee numbers have been increased, and but the previous administration had destroyed pretty much the program. So we were rebuilding the program this last couple of days until just right now that we have to deal with the crisis in Afghanistan. So there are thousands of Afghanis have already uh, been uh, evacuated that are in Fort Lee in Virginia, that their immigration applications have been processed there. So soon some of those cases would ended up here in Utah. And the, I've been, we've been hearing also that the State Department and the Department of Defense and uh, Homeland Security, they're working together to evacuate more Afghanis that they will be taking to neighboring countries in, in Qatar, in Kosovo and many other parts. So their cases will be processed there. And then once they're given the status, they will be allowed to come in into the US. So we are getting ready for all those uh, uh, you know, families uh, once their immigration status have been completed. You're a humanitarian organization. Um, so what is it that the community can do to support you in the amount of work that I know is going to come uh, the way of CCS Utah? And I know Utahns wanna help, what can we do? Utah is always a very generous state when it comes to helping others who need help. And I remember in the past that we have helped many other evacuations like this during the Vietnam War, during the Kosovo crisis, the uh, Iraqis, uh, you know, the Kurdistan when it was evacuated. So this one is no different. So our community, we are asking to, to, to do, uh, you know, uh, it's best by volunteering their time, by contacting us. We also need monetary donation to help subsidize the services that uh, we're providing. And if you have a home or if you have a, a room, you know, that you could uh, host a refugee family into your home, please let us know. We, will be, we need all the support we can get as the housing crisis really rising and it's really hard to, to, to rent housing right now. Well, and the capacity that you had on, uh, was decimated under the Trump administration. So again, you are already in a rebuilding mode to provide services. Now you have the situation in Afghanistan, but also Haiti. Are you hearing anything about folks from Haiti that might need to come here? Well, I think anytime that there is a crisis is struck anywhere in the world, our U.S. government is always looking in ways to help uh, those individuals that are in dire situation. We haven't heard anything yet, but we are ready to help anyone who uh, brought into the US that are needing to be resettled in, in our state. Uh, you know, there are thousands of uh, people in Haiti that are, you know, are homeless and, uh, you know, don't have any basics. Many lost their loved ones and uh, 
So they needing a lot of help as well. And so whatever we can do, I know uh, our Catholic charities uh, uh, internationally and also the, uh, the LDS church and many uh, NGOs and humanitarian, they are providing humanitarian aid, uh, Catholic relief services. Uh, but, but for us, we focus on domestic uh, resettlement. So when the, the folks have been allowed to come into the US, uh, we are ready to, to help them here to preserve uh, in our state. One thing that we just started uh, with the refugee foster care program is that we have over 90 children in our care uh, that are placed into foster homes, but we are looking if anyone willing to donate a house where we can use as an independent uh, living uh, program where we will teach the youth on how to live independently. So we are looking into a donated house if anyone okay as that capacity, we really appreciate it. Well, Aidan, I know that you are now the Migration and Refugee Services Director for Catholic Community Services of Utah, but you were once a refugee yourself. What can you share with our listeners about what folks in Afghanistan and Haiti and other parts of the world are going through and looking to the U.S. for help? You know, the the United States is a, is a leading country and many other countries are looking upon us on how we deal with crisis like this when it happened. And uh, I think right now we need to focus on humanitarian because uh, uh, you know we don't need to talk about politics right now. People are dying. People are very dire in situation. And uh, because I have been through this crisis, you know, what we, is happening in, 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 in Afghanistan. I have seen it in Somalia when I was fleeing and People, when they are in that mode of fleeing, they're very desperate. It is a life and death situation. People wanting a safe, uh, so what, you know, we need to provide uh, this individual's uh, family safety uh, mechanism by either, you know, uh, uh, transporting to a safe place and then, uh, you know, helping them uh, with their refugee. This responsibility is not only for the US, I'm, I'm, I'm calling this all, international community to help the Afghani people who are very desperate. Our local community here, I ask also to contact their, their representatives and to encourage them also to pressure the administration to provide whatever support that the Afghani people uh, can get because we worry about those that are left behind, uh, what their safety is gonna be. And uh, so, yeah, anything we can do to help would be great. I'm guessing you are also in touch with folks from Afghanistan who have been resettled here over the last 20 years. What are you hearing from them as they reach back out to CCS Utah and have concerns about their fellow countrymen, their friends, their family, their loved ones who need to get out? I've been getting a lot of calls this past couple of days. Uh, the Afghanis, the refugees and special immigrant visa holders that we have uh, Resettle. I've been getting calls from, uh, you know, U.S. military veterans who were there and who helped and who are friended with, uh, who their lives were saved, and uh, they also appealing to what we need to do more to save this, uh, uh, you know, the, the people of Afghanistan, those that are back there that were not able to escape, uh, because we don't know what the situation in the ground is going to continue to be. And so uh, all we can do at this point is to tell people that, uh, uh, you know, we're here, we, we, we're ready to support those that come to the United States. 
Um, and but those that are in, in, in Afghanistan, all we can do is uh, to, to, to pressure our government to let them know that, you know, there are a lot of people here that have concerns for their families, their friends, their, you know, um, uh, their allies that they have worked together and, and so forth. So anything we can do, um, I think that's what, what, what people have been asking this last couple of days. So for folks listening who want to get involved and uh, can support your effort, what's the website they can turn to for more details, Aiden? They, people can go to our, our website, uh, ccsutah.org, and uh, go to the Migration and Refugee Services uh, Program, and uh, you can volunteer your time. You can monet- donate uh, you know, money, and also, uh, if you have uh, you know, a house or an apartment, uh, please let us know. Anything you can do you know, to help uh, us resettle as many refugees uh, you know, that's what we desperately need right now. Aiden Batar of Catholic Community Services. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the organization. Still to come this hour, our back-to-school series with student journalists at Salt Lake Community College and Amplify Utah. To get us there, take a listen to this one from the Drive-By Truckers. It's their take on the Eddie Hinton tune, Everybody Needs Love. KRCL invites you to support back-to-school supply drives, like that of the Community Action and Fellowship Foundation. Drop-off backpacks, notebooks, pens, paper, lightly used laptops, phones, and flash drives at Uprock 1594 South State Street in Salt Lake City by August 20th. This is the Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones. And now we continue our series of back-to-school interviews with student journalists at Salt Lake Community College, part of the Amplify Utah Project. My name is Samantha Herrera, and I am a journalism student at Salt Lake Community College. My story with the Amplify Utah Project and the Salt Lake Tribune is living in between how children navigate two cultures at once. Samantha, thanks for giving us some time and, and sharing the story that you found and have delivered to the community. Talk to me a bit about identifying this story and what you're going for, and then we'll get to what you found. Um, yeah, I so this story actually came up in a discussion in my journalism class in the spring. Um, one of my classmates actually um, brought up this whole experience that children of immigrants tend to have where they're brought up with their parents' culture from another country, but then they're living in America and experiencing what is usually a very different culture um, and just how that is a very unique experience to children of immigrants. There was an interesting passage in your story, and we'll put a link in the show notes, folks, so you can check it out. And one of the things I really liked about your story was how you brought in your subject's culture and language. In particular, I'm thinking of the passage I used to feel in between I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but that's a woman named Veronica using the Spanish term meaning not from here nor there. And that seems the crux of what uh, many students at Salt Lake Community College feel. Yeah, no, I that phrase actually came up in two different interviews with two different people, which I think just kind of goes to show how even though we all have different experiences, um, they all do feel that way. Like you're not from here, but you're not from there. You feel maybe too much of one culture when you're living in American society, but you don't feel enough of your parents' culture when you're, li- when you're interacting with them. Um, so I, when I heard that phrase, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's like the perfect way to sum it up. Um, one of the interesting things is the census data that came out recently showing that one in four Utahns is of 
a different ethnic group or a minority. And um, that holds true at the community college where I think it's 20%. Um, so this is a huge issue for our community going forward. And to understand, you feel that that was one of the goals of your story was to bring understanding to a broader part of the community? I do. I, um, growing up as a, you know, Mexican-American person, I felt like I never really got to see my experiences shown or talked about, or if they were talked about, it was not in a, in a positive light or it was, um, not in a truthful light. And I feel like that's really damaging, uh, especially when you're a young person and I, I can't explain how good it feels and like how validating it feels to see someone who has a story like yours represented in the media. Um, I know whenever I see a show about like Latino people or a Latino family, like it really brings like some sort of comfort to my heart. And I know that there's so many people who have lived that experience and I just wanted to basically put it out there. Like you're not alone, even though sometimes it feels like that. Yeah, there was a particular story within your story that uh, really caught my attention, and uh, you'll have to share it with us here. It's the, the, the subject who is going back to learn about her culture and the tribe that she descends from, the, the, the village. Can you tell us, share that part of the story with us? Sure. So she, um, her name is, was, her name is Brenda. Um, she's amazing. She works with our dream center at Salt Lake community college. Um, and she was telling me how she has taken the time to go back and actually visit the places that her family comes from. And for her, um, it's a little bit more unique because her family comes from the indigenous people of that area in Mexico. Uh, so she's learning about all these cultural practices that she had never heard of before. And it's obviously very different from what American society is like. So it's getting like a glimpse into the people who came before her and basically where she comes from. That's a huge topic in Utah. We love our genealogy and tracing our immigrant story. Yeah, I, I think that uh, people kind of forget about maybe the history of this country in and of itself, um, because it's true. I mean, the colonists who came here were not from here, making them immigrants. And I just with the way that uh, like the politics have been lately about, you know, whether or not immigration is good or how many people we should be letting into the country. I think it's important to realize that we all have more in common than I think maybe people realize or remember. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's good to hear about these specific stories and stories that are unique to people because it brings a whole human element to it. And it really brings you down to that personal level of like, oh, you're a person who has experienced this. And it's not just this broad like group of immigrants that I don't know anything about personally. Well, you're not only a journalism student at Salt Lake Community College. I understand you're now the digital editor and you're exploring storytelling on different social media platforms. What are you dabbling with or what do you have coming up that we should be looking for? So I am very excited to take on uh, the editor role. Uh, I think that digital, the digital platforms across the board have so much 
potential to reach people that maybe traditional media hasn't had. And uh, I'm just so excited to see like who we can reach and who gets to read all of the awesome stuff that the people at our newspaper are writing. And um, even just with the visual stuff, it's very fun to put together just on a, on a sort of more shallow level. (laughs) It's not shallow though. It's this new, it's this new medium. I get what you're saying though. It can be written off by news consumers of a certain age, shall we say. Yeah. Um, But media is evolving. It has to evolve or it's going to die. And so what are you looking at? What are the platforms you're looking at experimenting with? So I, uh, when I started working with the globe, I was making content for Instagram, which I found really fun. Um, but now with this other position, I'm going to be working with like Facebook and Twitter and, uh, I'm excited to share other people's stories because when I was creating my own stories, that's what I was focused on is my work. But now I get to see, you know, other people's stories and, you know, pick out one of their great quotes to put in a tweet so that other people can see, you know, the work that they did and some of the interviews that they did with so many amazing people drawing people deeper into the story using these social media platforms is the trick. It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think we've all come across a tweet that you're like, I have to click on that. (laughs) But you know, one of the problems that we're finding in our world is that a lot of those tweets aren't, they don't take you somewhere substantive. So as a next generation journalist, um, what do you see your role or the opportunity for you? Are you going to keep following this into a career? I, I don't know, (laughs) but I, there is something that I've loved so much about being able to, I guess, have a hand in what stories are represented, um, especially with this, with this collaboration with Amplify Utah and the Tribune. I, I feel like there's something very powerful about giving students a voice, especially community college students, which I feel like sometimes we get a bad rap. But um, I, yeah, I think that it, especially with our team, I think we have so many people of different backgrounds who are making choices to be more inclusive with what they're writing about and what they're researching. So, you know, when I, when I look at um, everything you represent, um, now you're at the table choosing stories. Do you find that, that powerful? I do. I definitely do. I don't, um, I don't know. It's hard to put into words how validating that is, especially just like I told you growing up, it was hard to see anyone like myself represented um, and to hear stories that were written by people like me, which is another big, um, I think, thing going on when it comes to journalism is who's actually writing those stories. So I feel, I feel really lucky to be able to have that uh, voice, especially just, you know, uh, I'm making my parents proud, which makes me proud. That's Samantha Herrera, student journalist at Salt Lake Community College and part of the Amplify Utah Project. The nonprofit amplifies the stories of the underrepresented in Utah. Check tonight's show notes for a link and sign up for their newsletter while you're at it. I've got another angle on back to school for you now, and that's the story of Bess Dennison, who's celebrating 40 years at the Utah School for the Blind. You know, back in the early 80s, I first came to Utah. Um, 
hired by a joint project between Utah State University and the Utah School for the Deaf and Blind, who had just received a four-year grant to develop a new program to, to start statewide services um, here in Utah for families of young blind um, and visually impaired children, birth to three. And as a part of that grant, we had four years to find teachers to work in the rural areas of the state, train them. We had to identify the babies, start to develop um, the, the service delivery model, and we also had to develop a curriculum. And that uh, curriculum then after the four years was finished with, the state of Utah, we had to present the program to the state legislature and they voted to permanently fund the services and keep them going in the state of Utah. And, um, and so the program has grown from, by the end of the four years, we had 60 babies around the state, birth to three. And now on a regular basis, we serve over 200 babies across the state. And um, after we developed the model program here in Utah, the federal government funded Utah State University to, to use our staff, those of us who were involved in developing the, the program, to start to outreach it to other states. So, uh, so we, we train, we do training in other states and that has continued over, over the years since the, it was mid, the mid eighties when we started outreaching the Mo Utah model program and the curriculum. And that's what the Warren Bledsoe Award was for. That's our National Association of Teachers of the Blind and Visually Impaired. And um, they have a preschool division of which I was, was a part and that national organization wanted to recognize me for the, the contribution that we had made across the country to this kind of early intervention program. Well, 2021 school year marks your 40th year in the classroom and in a very specific population that you work with. And I'm curious why it's so important to have developed these programs, these early interventions for babies from birth to age three? What is the impact on that child and their family as they grow? Well, little ones who are born with significant vision impairment and blindness, that disability impacts every area of their development, learning to communicate, relate to people, explore their environment, learning to play, learning to do things for themselves like feeding and dressing. And the early years are a critical time to help those little ones begin to develop those skills that they need to be more independent later when they start to enter preschool and then kindergarten. Plus families, you know, when, when you have a child born with those kinds of disabilities, sometimes it's a little bit of a shock. And, it's, and for some families trying to figure out how do I help this little one learn when they're not seeing um, very well. And a lot of these little ones have additional disabilities too. And so it's, it's really critical to get in there early to support families um, emotionally and to support them with ideas. We do a lot of brainstorming together with them and trial and error because each of these little, these little ones are so different from each other. And, and, and when parents, when, when they have that support, then they better understand the things that they can do to help their child learn and grow and develop and to feel positive about them. It's important when we're there in the home, we're able to rejoice with them when that, when that baby starts to crawl or to roll or starts to communicate with them. Um, those little tiny steps are so important. And 
sometimes others take it for granted and, and to have somebody that can see that with them and help them learn to enjoy their child and help their child fit in and interact with the peers in the family. It, it just brings a much more positive start to that, that baby's life and just gets them ready really for the, for the rest of life. <laughs> well, last year you were also awarded teacher of the year at the Utah schools for the deaf and blind. And as you face another year under a pandemic, once again, tell me how you've adapted uh, to the challenges of educating your young pupils with that layer of pandemic concern? Well, as you know, the cl- our classrooms are the home. <laughs> we, do, we go into the home and we try to work within the routines in the home. And so this, this last year, especially as flu season started coming in, we had to drop back to Zoom. And so all our visits had to be through Zoom. And the parents had to take on a much bigger role in, in terms of, you know, here we are, at a distance, trying to watch what they're doing with a baby and coaching and talking through their concerns. Um, and, and it took a little while for both of us, both the parents and for us as interventionists to get comfortable with that and, and, uh, and to get, begin to get creative uh, with things. Like I, I, I learned to do things like if we were gonna make, adopt some materials of letting the parents know ahead of time emailing them about what we'd need. And sometimes I would do drive-by drop-offs, things that I'd made or adapted or we're gonna work with. I dropped off, hung on the door <laughs> and they had them there ready for us to, to use in our Zoom home visit. Um, and, and then once early, you know, it was about February, I guess, when I, when I was able to get my vaccine, then I was allowed to, start, the families were comfortable with it and most were, but some families still wanted to continue through Zoom. Um, but you know, I would say most wanted us back in the home. And so I was able to st- start back with my visits in the home. And you know, I still mask up even this summer. Last summer, we, we actually continued, but we did visits in the yard. And that was fun. We learned to do all kinds of things outdoors and make the out the family's yards, <laughs> kind of a, a learning environment. And, and we had others, all the other siblings were there. And so I had to learn to plan actually more, more things that all the siblings could be involved with and enjoy doing uh, outdoors. And, um, and so, you know, we'll see how this year goes. I'm, I'm still doing in-home visits, uh, masking up. Um, we're also getting ready to start. I, I teach a toddler group at the School for the Deaf and Blind, and where it looks like we'll have about eight uh, little ones between the ages of two and three, and their moms come with them. And we're in a little, like a preschool type environment where we're doing activities to help get them ready for starting preschool at age three, um, to learn to be around other kids and other people in a little bit different kind of a routine. Um, and the families have been so, we sort of tried it out a little bit this summer and the parents were so happy to be back <laughs> together because they're a support with each other. They share all kinds of ideas um, with each other. And, and we do in the summer times, we've been doing you know, park days, getting families together um, as best we can. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes and as you know, how this, pandemic heads, whether we have to go back to Zoom or we're able to continue 
with some of the families, the, home, the visits in the home, we'll, we'll just have to see. <laughs> Is there something that you've learned to use to ground you during these challenging times? I'm guessing the work of early intervention with children with significant visual and um, other sensory impairments um, is difficult at the best of times. So is there something that you've used to ground you in the last two years? Well, I, I think just um, having hope that things some at some point will be you know, hopefully back, back to somewhat of a normalcy uh, again, but just learning to be patient, under, just understanding that I have to do my part in keeping myself safe and the family safe and their babies safe because some of these babies are very vulnerable. They have a lot of health and medical issues, and um, and with that, you know, they 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 are the the priority. I'm I'm there to to support them and and help them. And I I love what I do and just trying to stay focused on that and and positive <laughs> about the future in life and you know sometimes that is challenging but it's the you know it's the the children and their needs and seeing them learn and grow and and it's been fun even on zoom to see that they could enjoy uh, some of the activities still that we do most of my little ones have a little bit of vision and I you know, I learned to do some fun kinds of little stories using little visuals really close up and songs and singing. I do a lot with with music, to, um, trying to make it enjoyable because it's important for families to know that it's a, that you want to still have fun with your kids. It doesn't all have to be work all the time. So you mentioned you mentioned music, and we're a mostly music station. I get to do the fun things like talking with you and. We've been mm -hmm. asking people for something to add to our songs of summer playlist. So what's one of your number one summer songs that you like to hear this time of year? You know, I, I do a lot of little songs with toddler kinds of songs. That's great. <laughs> like if, what you got? If you're, if you're happy and you know it, I take that song. If you're happy and know it, and I could make it fit anything that tune fit anything that we're doing, you know, if we're eating, you know, we'll make it into an eating song. If, if we're working on dressing, we put we make it into a dressing song, and using and using rhythm. Music <laughs> makes everything go down easier. I say, I mm -hmm. think. <laughs> and I tell parents, you can make a tune about anything that the child's doing because these kids they love music and they love rhythm, and and sometimes you can get them to do almost anything if you're singing <laughs> and, and singing about it, you know. And, and stuff. So, <laughs> well, Bess, it's been a pleasure talking with you and that you've dedicated 40 years of your professional life to helping kids that have these challenges. How many, how many kids uh, in, in the Utah schools for the deaf and blind this year, would you say are, are utilizing the program that you offer? Well, like I said, we have about 200 babies across the state that we serve and there are 17 early intervention people just like me spread around the state working with those babies. You know, we have a service provider down in St. George, one in Monticello, some in central Utah, most are along the Wasatch front, um, but we're around, around the state serving those babies on a regular basis, doing parent groups and activities with them. And we work under the director, our director is, is Karen Board at the Utah School for the Deaf and Blind. So about 200 
children, give or take, at any point in time. Thanks, Bess, for your 40 years of work and the life-changing early intervention programs you've helped develop on behalf of families with babies and children who are blind. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stop your feet. I'm Laura Jones, and that's your radioactive summer break. Thanks for listening. Check tonight's show notes to get involved with any of the issues featured on tonight's show. And if you have extra time or dimes, you can make a difference. From one clapping song to another, I'm going out tonight with We Can't End This Way. It's Ben Harper and Charlie Musselwhite on KRCL 90.9. KRCL, your community connection since 1979.